Greetings, and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the intersection of security, technology, and society, and thinks about what might be coming next. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that condenses 5 to 20 hours of reading and analysis into a 15-minute summary, as well as regular essays, interviews, and book reviews that cover specific topics. The goal is to give you a concise, curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. Amir is an audiophile, but he has a unique approach to the hobby that's literally disrupting the industry. He's basically introduced measurement and what he calls objectivism, no relation to Ayn Rand, into this very sensitive audiophile world that prizes itself on everything being a matter of preference or up to the listener. And Amir calls these types the subjectivists, and I call them the legacy audiophiles. So what Amir does is he uses his, his decades of experience and his professional training to actually test this equipment, much of which costs tens of thousands of dollars, uh, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, to find out if outrageous claims that are being made actually have any merit. It's a truly refreshing approach to the industry, and I'm really excited to talk to him. Amir has a degree in electrical engineering. He used to run the digital media group at Microsoft in the 1980s, and he's currently the founder of Audio Science Review, both the forums and the YouTube channel. And here's our conversation. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on. Uh, My pleasure. Really great to have you. I guess the first thing is to uh, thank you because I was about uh, to uh, I was about to head down this path right here. <laughs> wow, um, that's a that's a very expensive path. Though. Well, it, no, I, I wasn't actually going to get this because this is a little too much for me. But um, <laughs> but you probably recognize the stuff like three hundred grand yeah. for each amp, like yeah, two yeah. or three hundred grand for the speakers, or maybe more. Yeah, D'Agostino and Wilson speakers. That's yep. it. See how much shows all the time. Yeah, that's it. And I, w- I was actually heading down the D'Agostino path. And um, yeah. I mean, I was really close. I feel like I was trapped in like some sort of cult. And like you yeah. happened to be driving by <laughs> on a side road. Yeah. And you saw me freaked out on the side of the road and you offered me a ride out- outside of the encampment. <laughs> um, <laughs> it- it's very strange because once I clicked in there, I was just like... It's almost like hearing that, you know, the world is round. Yeah. Like after yeah, you've been a, told yeah. until your late thirties yeah. that it was it was flat or something. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a lot of high end friends with equipment like that, and also go to shows all the time. So I'm very very familiar. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they've built their own universe of laws, and that apply only to them. Uh, I think those are MIT cables there, and it's like. The normal laws of the universe have been put aside, and this yeah. new made-up set of rules. Where, you know, I've got a audiophile friend here that uh, not only did he put high-end outlets on in his listening room, but then he came back and said when he changed the screws that hold the plate onto the outlet, another veil was removed. Uh, and it's like, first it was a strain that the outlet made a difference, but then the screw <laughs> for the outlet made a difference. Oh. You really, yeah. really. <laughs> really pulling yeah. me out over the ledge there. I mean, and people buy it. I mean, people accept it. They think everything matters. And uh, 
it's just become really crazy. And what's happening that this used to be what I call crazy high end, but the crazy high end has become more or less the accepted high end has become the mainstream sort of, of course, you know, that's the way the world turns. So, you know, here we are coming back and trying to do some kind of reset on that and pull people back to reality. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's very much appreciated. Uh, I'm yeah. sure you're helping a lot of people there. Um, yeah, my pleasure. So uh, I've been sort of debating this myself. Um, the last name, um, I'm, I'm going to have a go at it, if if you go don't ahead. mind. Uh, Majidamir or? Perfect. Perfect. That was right. Oh, that was perfect. Put, okay. It was the first yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the H is not pronounced, so it's just Majidamir. Okay. Yeah, it's that one makes it harder to pronounce the way it's written. Majidimer. Majid. Where's the accent? Is it the second syllable? There isn't one. You go the way you said it, which is Majidimer. Just one long. Okay. Monotonous kind of just go Majidimer. Okay, perfect. So it's the first one. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if you know Amir. Is actually, um, it's a really cool name as well. Uh, it's actually in what I would argue is the best fantasy book ever, and they're the good guys, yeah. the Amir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually means kings, the good kings, mm. <laughs> the good, good hero kind of thing. And it's become a very hip name, I understand, in Israel and some parts of Middle East now. Mm -hmm. It's uh, sort of picked up. Uh, the Arabs pronounce it with a, a spell it with an Emir, they put an E at the end, at the beginning. But uh, the, the name a, is Persian. Is it Persian? Or? It is. Yeah, yeah, Iranian. Yeah, Persian. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, mayor means kind at the end, by the way. That's oh. two, two words, but it's easy. My dad changed his name and wanted to change it to just Majidi and went to register. They told him, if you're going to change your name, it has to be unique. So he was like, okay, what do I do? I'll put the mayor at the end. And back home, we actually don't put the last part on it, the mayor part. We just say Majidi. So it's a very short name. Mm. But, but when I came to U.S., people kept saying, that's not your name. You got to spell the whole thing. So the whole thing then becomes kind of long. Mm, interesting. And so your background, um, which kind of takes us into this one here. So yeah. I understand you're at Microsoft doing some uh, audio-related stuff there. Background is yes. EE. Um, yes. And But were you an audiophile back then as well? Or is yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. I've been an audiophile since I was little. I grew up with electronics. And uh, uh, when I was, uh, my oldest brother was into electronics. And uh, one of the first third or fourth projects to, that my middle brother and I built was an amplifier. And once we built it and started playing some music into it, we were like, oh, well, this is interesting whether we can get better sound now when I'm shopping for more better speakers and what have you. And all of a sudden, I got this audiophile bug when I was a teenager. I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years old. I forget, 14 years old. Okay. And uh, so I was an audiophile for 30 years before starting a Microsoft. And, uh, uh, and I didn't think I was going to use my audiophile experience at Microsoft, but one of the teams I was handed to manage at the beginning was the audio video uh, compression and the uh, signal processing team. And so quickly I reached into my, you know, library of music and I started testing the stuff the team was developing and, you know, this happy marriage of hobby and, uh, 
you know, profession started there. So, but no, I've been an audiophile since 1970s. So I go way back to, you know, analog only world and, you know, then digital and then online digital and streaming. I've lived through it all. And the last two or three generations have been part of building the technology to enable it mm. uh, on this thing. Very cool. And how did you end up? Was it just a series of pokes where people were like presented you with more and more bad information that prompted you to kind of just describe some of this in audio format and then with the YouTube channel? Uh, you mean the history of audio science review? Yeah. Why it came about? Oh, right. um, so I've been on online forums for for decades. It's just to me, it's a great place to be, and and you know a lot of people there. It's sort of a battle of gladiators, if you will. You got to yeah. be really good at proving your point. And uh, I was on this very very large AV forum called AVS Forum, and uh, I got banned because I was linking to my technical articles I'd written for Widescreen Review Magazine. Mm. And one day they said, "That's uh, you. That's uh, you're spamming our forum," and without recourse, I got banned. And then there were a bunch of other people who left that forum at the same time. And one of them was actually a very high-end subjectivist audiophile. And he asked if he, you know, would the two of us would start a forum together where I would bring the objectivity and the science and he'd bring the subjectivity and the two will meet in the middle. Hmm. We did that for about four or five years. Uh, make a long story short, we had a terrible divorce where we had a falling out where he wanted the forum to go all the way to his route. And I wanted it to be the halfway in the middle that it was. So mm. I left and I decided to just create a forum for myself, a peaceful, quiet one where I would take the uh, AES papers, engineering papers, and summarize them, put them online because those papers are behind paywalls. AES requires membership to be able to access any of these things. And uh, hence the word audio science review. I wanted to uh, just review articles and research. And uh, that went on for a few months this way. And a few people followed me and uh, it was just general discussions and digested different papers. And then somebody asked me if I would test some uh, uh, low-end DAX, $100 DAX on Amazon. And I said, yeah, I've got this audio analyzer. I'll, I'll see, I'm likely I won't find anything. But uh, interestingly enough, as soon as I started testing these DAX, I found out their performance is all different. Some are better engineered than others. And that became a thing. Uh, at the beginning, I was buying all the equipment to test, but soon members started to loan me equipment. So now what the forum is uh, and the site has turned into is that it's got this anchor in these forum, uh, in these reviews that I do once a day. And then, then there's discussions around the review and then general discussion of science and engineering outside of that. But it's all anchored towards what I say, you know, we have a compass, we have a heading that's called proper science and engineering and audio yeah you know if you can't prove your point of view we're not interested in it you you can have an opinion about anything but just like going to your doctor saying hey out here drinking carrot juice cures my cancer yeah is he gonna entertain that he's gonna say look either here let me treat you or go during the you know carrot juice and cure your cancer yeah. so in this forum when you come here you're welcome to have whatever opinion but if you're trying to convince of something then we're going to say, hey, look, what's your evidence that drinking carrot juice, you know, cures cancer? And if you don't have any, then we'll push back. Uh, but if you do, great. Show us the papers. Show, show us controlled listening tests. Follow the signs. Now, the science hasn't figured it out all in that we still have to go and review products ourselves, test it ourselves. 
we're discovering things. We're in some areas. I think we're starting to actually advance the science in amount of testing we're doing. There, this sort of extension of the science is starting to happen to some extent. Mm-hmm. So that's okay to explore and extrapolate and say, what does it mean, Amir, that you measure the speaker and the science says it should sound good, but you're saying it doesn't, and we can explore those things. But the random stuff of you know, uh, I put a coaster on there. My amplifier made it sound twice as good. It's like. Mm talking about uh if you say it's true go ahead and show me that you know that that you can tell that difference without knowing that the coaster was put on the amplifier uh if you can't then we're not here to entertain that point of view yeah that makes total sense i'm really curious about that intersection i've seen a couple of places where you've responded to people in the forums where they were kind of going the other way um Mm -hmm. to the opposite extreme that happens too, yeah. And you kind of reeled them in and said, look, yeah. we're not going to do, you know, wait for uh, longitudinal studies over four decades uh, <laughs> to have, have enough data to make a statement. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the extremes of anything, as you can imagine, yeah. you know, is not that good. It's not a healthy, I should say. Um, there's an extreme point of view says don't test anything. They all sound perfect to everybody and nobody can tell the difference between anything and all things. I'd say that could be 80% true, but it's not 100% true. So don't go 100% on it because yep. I can show you examples of equipment that's just so broken that you just can't with straight face say it's not. Or somebody will go do a blind test just like we asked for, and then we're embarrassed as heck because they did find a difference. So don't push it to the extreme where we don't we can't defend it ourselves. And that also makes the place healthier and friendlier. Uh, I want to have this friendly tone to what we do also. There is another website at a forum that they're very religious where they won't even allow measurements. They only accept double blind testing. Mm. And if you do show measurements, they'll ban you for posting measurements as proof of anything. And I'm like, come on now. I mean, you know, they almost banned me that way. I got formal warnings for posting measurements in defense of something that was I was getting challenged on. And uh, so that kind of extremism, you know, like you said, is not healthy. So I'd say when somebody asked me, where are you in that spectrum of minus 100 to plus 100? I'd say I'm at 80 plus 80. Uh, Yeah. The last 20 percent. Yeah, shoot me. I'm still going to listen to a speaker after I've measured it. I'll tell you why the measurements are so accurate and so good, but I'm also going to listen in good conscience. I can't tell you. Just look at the graph. Yeah. And we're done. You know, and somebody is like a DAC. I say, yeah, just look at the measurements when we're done. But, you know, headphone amplifiers, headphones themselves, uh, you know, speakers. It's just, I wish it was as easy as just showing the measurement because it'll be less work for me to not have to listen to all these things. But so, so yeah, that's where I am. I think people are free to land where they want in that spectrum. Just don't come argue with me, try to pull me to 100% or try to pull me to negative 100. You know, sort of let me be where I am. And, uh, you know, that's where I'm hoping we all land. And I've seen that where our very hardcore members over the years have softened a little bit to that position and saying, yeah, that's that's a, more or less the right place to be. Uh, once in a while, we get people who just go nuts and constantly say, if the research says X, literally means X, and you can't tell me otherwise. And if you do, I'm just going to harass you forever. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not that either. If you're just yeah. here to have a fight and make this stuff just so unpleasant for us, you know, we're not about that either. Yeah, it's almost like some people are looking for 
a team to fight really aggressive on. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, is this the one? And then you're like, well, not really. This is not the place <laughs> yeah. for that. It's a human nature. I'm actually that way, you know, that uh, just when I go engage, I always want to say, okay, what can I say that sort of says you're wrong? You know, that's sort of my first card is like, hey, wait, 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 what you just said is not correct. And doing it once or twice or three times is fun. But if you just make it routine where you're always coming in with that yep. negative attitude of, you know, and for the 50th time with the same argument, I'm like, ah, don't do it. You know, why yeah. are you making yourself so miserable being here? Yep. So a little bit of levity is good. If you look at the, you know, our taglines and things like that, you see a sign of that. You know, I'll call myself, you know, CFO, chief fun officer, you know. Yeah. Uh, sort of says, you know, allow a little bit of that. This thing can be a very serious and adversarial types of discussions with these things, but but don't don't lose your humanity. On yeah, I, I think you're pulling that off pretty well. So I, I'm not sure. It might have been um, might have been your intro video where you, yeah. you basically it, was, it had a lot of comedy in it in satire. Basically, you were like, you know, trust me, 100. Yeah. Don't challenge anything I say or something like that. Yeah. And then, of course, you yeah. got the panther. <laughs> So there are quite a few signals that that the goal is to have fun while we're pursuing the truth. That's right. Yeah, we don't compromise the the truth, but at the same time, boy, I want people to have a good time and this be their second hobby. You know, we all have audio as our hobby and we go sit there and listen to music or buy something. But all of us also have this second hobby, which is to talk about the hobby. Yes. And that's a hobby by itself. People think that's like, it's like, no, this is different than that. Some people just listen to music, never go on a forum or a discussion. But the ones that do, this is a second hobby and let's make sure this is a good hobby to have. And here, let's be professional about it. Let's not be rude. Let's not be obnoxious. Let's not be racist. Let's not be, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, just be good. Now, can we pull it off perfectly? No. You know, occasionally somebody comes and immediately quits and says, you guys don't have an open mind and I'm yeah. going to leave and what have you. But, you know, within the context of what we can do, which is, you know, millions of strangers coming together, it appears to be working and yeah. from just the growth that we've had uh, over the last two or three years alone. Yeah, totally. And so talking about measurement a bit, I wanted to ask something. The 80% versus the 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I read a lot about, uh, I guess, the mind, like neurobiology, like causes for things. Um, you've mentioned uh, psycho, is it psycho? Acoustics. Acoustics. Yeah, Psychoacoustics, yeah. That's right. So it's it's the interaction of the objective stimuli with a perception. And I that's think right. that's where a lot of the, uh, what you call subjectivists, which I would agree, a lot right. of the kind of legacy audiophiles um, right. are really stuck on this idea of the experience. Right. Um, right. And I wonder... I'm kind of looking for like a, uh, I'm always looking for unified theories when I see yeah, two camps, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, what, what do we agree on? What can we agree on? We have a big problem in that area in that there's a camp that thinks when they hear something and perceive it, and that's always the reality. Yes. They, the concept that I've heard it and I've felt it, and I concluded it, yeah. 
can be not only a little bit faulty, but it could be just wildly incorrect. Wild. I mean, it's like could be so incorrect that we're just like shame anybody. It's just not in their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And it isn't in their vocabularies because what I say is that they've never been tested on that. I ran an audio signal processing team, so I was constantly being tested in that. If I found an artifact and told my team about it, one of two things would happen. They would go and actually look at the code and find the problem, fix it, and the artifact would go away. Then I knew I was right. Or they come back and say, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. The ex- example of the latter is that I was sick at home for a couple of weeks, and uh, my uh, manager of the audio processing team says, hey, we're working on a new psychoacoustics model for our uh, audio codec. Do you mind helping us a little bit while you're at home? I'm like, no problem. Sitting at home you know, with a cold, fine, I could do that. He says, okay, here's one version. Here's another version. What do you think? I listened to him like, well, I think it's this version. Then he came back an hour later. How about these two? I was like, wait a second. I can't keep doing this. Why don't you give me the knobs and I'll modify them? He says, no problem. Gave me a file with a dozen parameters and they were all fractional numbers, like floating point numbers, 1.654. I sat there for two weeks, tuned all of those parameters to three or four decimal places. And I got it to be just so much better sounding. I went back to him and gave him that file back. And I said, look, I tuned these to three or four decimal places. He was shocked. He said, we don't use the fractions in those numbers. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I went from whole numbers to one digit that it made a difference, then two, then three, then four. Yeah. It absolutely makes a difference. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. He came back and he said, so, Amir, can you do an AB of these two files? And I came back and I was mad at him. I'm like, A is sounding so much better than B. Are you guys that deaf? You can't even hear the difference? Yeah. He emails me back. He says, the files are identical. <laughs> I said, no, no, he can't be right. I go do a binary compare, you know, with a yeah. command line, and he comes back with a message, files are the same. I was like, gosh, I was so sure they sounded different. Yeah. Yet the files are the same. And here's the remarkable part. Once I knew that they sounded the same, then I said, why did I hear him sounding different? Can I make myself hear him different? I absolutely could. I could actually pretend B was better sounding, had all that open sound, more analog-like, and I would hear it. And I could then close that door again and go back to them sounding the same. Every AV pair, I could make one of them sound better oh, worse wow. than the other one. Even though, and try this, by the way, have a file, copy it to another file name and play A and B and try to focus on one of them. And I guarantee you'll hear it to be different. So it's this humbling experiences like this, where you get slapped in your face really hard that tells you when you so much believe in your, your facts with your perception, then it turns out to be completely wrong. You have to accept that things can be, you know, that your mind plays tricks with you. And, uh, People confuse what I say, hearing and perceiving. Your ear is an instrument that picks up the sound waves, but then it's your brain uh, that decides what this means. You got two ears, they hear different things, by the way, because there's distance between them. Even the one speaker will arrive at two ears differently. So the brain has to constantly process what's coming in, and there's so much data coming in. And it's that brain part that screws things up. Right. You know, when, when you go to a high-end restaurant, they give you a pretty plate for your food. Doesn't make the food any taste, literally taste better, but your eye will say, hey, this is a prettier plate, therefore the food must taste better. And so other factors come into your brain and the brain synthesizes this uh, notion of what you're perceiving 
And, and it's not always placebo. People say, well, I wanted this other thing to sound worse, but it sounded better. Therefore, that's the truth, isn't it? I said, no, it has nothing to do with that. Your frame of mind changes when you listen to audio. If you focus on what is playing, you actually hear more notes, more nuances, even though they were always there. You just didn't focus because when you listen to music, you're not a machine recording every frequency, every sample forever in your life, right? Yep. Your, your brain can't store that. So your brain always throwing away a lot of the data. But if you ask it to, can you focus? Can you listen for those highs to see how high shrill they are? It then becomes a microscope where it zooms in and listens to those highs. And it hears things differently. All of a sudden, it hears the little pluck of a guitar it didn't hear before. And a typical audiophile says, oh, therefore, this change that I made allowed me to hear this pluck of a guitar more clearly. Therefore, this new cable, this new tweak, or this new amplifier did that. Yep. And once you're convinced it's remarkable, you go back to before, and invariably, you think you already discovered the fact that the new thing did this. Therefore, you impugn the other one as not having that capability. Yep. And you hear it as lifeless, not good. Yet a day before you made that change, I bet you you were raving about how great your system was. Totally. What a fantastic, expensive $200,000 system you put together. I always said, was your old system that crappy yep. that needed this tweak <laughs> on this yep. day? But it's not intuitive. So because we can't get over this one hurdle between the two camps, you know, whereas our camp knows that starts with the premise that you're, if you think you heard something that's unlikely, is therefore not the truth. The other side says, well, I heard it, therefore it is the truth. They don't come together uh, at all. Mm -hmm. um, the, the only hope is to get people like yourselves who just say, well, I'm not so entrenched that I won't listen to your arguments anymore, you know, right now. What is your argument again? You know, and letting it sink and gradually people say, yeah, yeah, I think he's got a point. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know. I mean, one way a lot of um, people who study the brain think about it is that the, uh, the brain is constantly building you a real time illusion. Yeah, it is. Based on the sensory input, because the sensory input yeah. is raw. Like one great yeah. example is like the um the touching of the finger to the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the the time it takes the signal to get there, but yeah. but we make it feel like it's exactly at the same time. The yeah, the other thing yeah. that um I've I've got to send you this video from uh TikTok. It's actually fantastic. There's yeah. um a sound being made, it's a single sound, yeah. and it just yeah. sounds like a, a set of syllables. Yeah. And it has in the top left and the top right two separate words. Yeah. And the text says the text in the middle says you will hear the word you're looking at. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and they are completely different sounding. And they I thought are, it was yeah. a trick at first, but of course TikTok videos just loop. But yeah. when you could see it something that clearly, yeah. You have to know that there's just trick stacked on yeah. top of trick. Yeah. Um, and you can't really trust yourself. And that, that's why I think this measurement stuff is really great. The other thing is like, let's say somebody is listening to a, a Sony Walkman or something. Um, yeah. I do a little bit of stuff with machine learning. It's like, wh what, are the, what are the variables coming through this thing right now? Um, and yeah. how is that impacting your brain? What if you had the most amazing experience while skateboarding with a Sony Walkman? You play the Sony Walkman. Yeah. You're hearing artifacts of basically garbage from this particular player or the cassette tape or yeah. whatever. 
but it hits these notes inside your brain of yeah. happiness and you're yeah. like, well, I just prefer the Sony Walkman sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, the depth of that is just amazing how far it can go. You can go from, you know, the example you talked about is one class of examples where it just, even when knowing about the trick doesn't solve the, you know, doesn't yeah. get you past that. It's like, you know, it, it's just ingrained in, in how the brain works. But, oh, but to the very subtle ones. And the problem we have is that sometimes observation is true. Yes, and because we can't say that the nothing ever sounds different, so that overlap kills us, right? Because we can't exclusively rule out everything yes. in the world as having an audible difference. Like two speakers, obviously, they sound different, what have you. So it's a tough nut. So I say, look, guys, uh, or everybody, just let's be grounded at some level with some things. And you talk about measurements. So let's at least measure this thing. Let's find out if this equipment is competently even designed on this thing. Because if it's not well engineered, how did you even run out spending $30,000 on this piece of equipment where I can just show you it's a hobby project, it's got hobby mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's just... It's just not right on this thing. There was a custom DAC uh, uh, that we measured, that I measured, and it had really bad distortion. And it has these transformers on the output. And I noticed that the distortion was very unusual in that it got distorted at low frequencies and high frequencies. And I was like, gosh, that looks like a transformer. And I brought that out and a designer chimes in. He says, oh yeah, my originally I had much better transformers in there, but they, you know, the material guys talked me into putting cheaper transformers in there. Oh my gosh, he says, I don't know, $6,000 DAC. And you're telling me now, telling your customers that you put cheaper transformers in it too. Mm -hmm. So come on, folks. All of you raving about how great this DAC sounds. You got to like, at least, at least at this point, say, whoa, what, what happened here? You yeah. know? It's one thing when the equipment is just incredibly over-engineered, right? There's high-end equipment that's just over-engineered. And I love that. I don't mind if the case costs $4,000 just for the case because gorgeous machine, aluminum or copper or whatever. Yeah. And instead of transistors randomly picked, somebody sat there, hand-picked all of them to the nth degree and... Instead of having 1% resistors, they put 0.1% resistors. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like bottled water. You can get Fiji bottled water sure. for $5 a bottle. So, yeah, you know, it's purity, it's brand, what have you. It's when they go the opposite, where they, they screw up the performance. Then they say it's better. I'm like, wait a second. Uh, yeah. Either put cheaper stuff in there or you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. Or you made dangerous equipment. Gosh, I've got a lot of these hobbyists getting into this business with all these bad ideas. And you just open the thing up. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you just, this, you, you know, forget about audio. You know, do you realize this thing doesn't have any regulatory certification? It's got mains power in there. You could touch this thing and, you know, get a shock. Uh, yeah. What are you doing? So. Yep. Um, the other thing I was going to mention about the traditional audiophile world, I noticed um, a thing that was kind of brewing inside myself. Uh, just yeah. by barely not even touching the the third rail completely, but yeah. it, but it seems like um, it's this vibe where you play something, you listen to your system, and you like you're listening, and you're like, you know, I think I love this, but I just feel like I should read some forums because there's a chance I could love it more. Yeah, and then you just end up. It, it's almost like this. Um, 
it's almost like just clicking on social media and refreshing constantly where you're just, you're generating an unhappiness because the game becomes the upgrade. Yeah. 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 You know, we talked earlier about how you can have a false conclusion about how something is better. The problem, the false conclusion is it wears out. It only works during that time and maybe a week or two after that, where you're still reminding yourself of that. Yeah. And then after a while, you one day you come and listen to your system. And you're like, hey, it doesn't sound good anymore. I wonder if better cables would make it sound better. Yes. Then you go get the, I say you get another hit as if it's a drug. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah. You go get the second hit and a third hit. And there, many of these people are in constant upgrade. Path. Yes. They're always messing with this, messing with that. So, yeah, yep. there's definitely truth to that. So this this I found really interesting. This I did not know at all until yeah. I got to your site. Um, yeah. And it, going back to what you were saying, there's there's papers here. There's science here. Right. It goes back for quite a while. Yep. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the, the flat response research? Yeah, this is weird in that people thought that when it comes to speakers and headphone, it's a free-for-all that we all have different tastes and therefore there is no guideline here of what's good, right? Well, a fellow by the name of Dr. Floyd Toole has uh, got a uh, background, both psychoacoustics and audio, well, went to Canadian Research Council and wanted to figure out, you know, is there any commonality in here? Is there anything that people, uh, you know, share at least in, in common in what they like? Quickly it came out that People like a neutral sound, and a neutral sound is defined as having frequency response on axis, meaning the sound just, just comes directly at you, Okay. to have no tonality variation. And if you think about it, that makes sense. If I have a take, a, if I have tone controls and I turn up the bass by 10 dB, we both will hear that, that bass, and we both likely we're going to say, that sounds boomy. Mm. You know, if you boost the highs, we'll say, yeah, that sounds bright. So it turns out we have this internal compass that's of what is correct mm. uh, within a you know margin of error, but we have it. And we all want this sort of more or less neutral sound when we're tested in control environment with uh, uh, without knowing what we're listening to. Because otherwise biases set in. If I mm. show you a horn speaker and you think a horn sounds hunky, mm-hmm. you just right away going to say, I don't like it. So that was the first learning. The second learning was that you take a speaker and stick it in a room and you hear both what is a direct sound and what is a, what we call off-axis sound. Sound hits the walls and the surfaces and comes at you and combines with a direct sound. And the research says you want that sound to be similar to the direct sound. Mm. When it's similar to the direct sound, it complements the direct sound and... Uh, is what defines a speaker to be um, easy to place in a room, which if the reflections don't color the sound, that means it's not as room sensitive. It also means if there is something wrong with the on-axis response, we can correct the equalization. Mm. So, because it will change both the off-axis and on-axis oh, together because point. the two are similar. Mm. Now, the example you have is a very perfect speaker because he uses DSP to make those corrections already. Not all of them are that perfect. But essentially, that's the research. Now, this research came out in the early 1980s. Mm. Yet 90% of the audiophiles haven't heard it and actually say the opposite. You know, we all have different tastes, they say, and therefore right. what I like in a speaker means nothing about what you like. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I test the speaker every two, three days. And if it follows this, man, I turn it on and it sounds just like what I like it to sound. It just mm. sounds beautiful, sounds great. 
Yeah, I love this kind of research because it's basically combining the double-blind testing, which yep. is like the subjective with the objective, right? Yeah, yep, correlative back, yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, all right, I think we already talked about this one, the universals. Uh, it's hard to find, hard to find the universals. Um, I had a random question about Bates. I think yeah. I watched your recent uh, headphone. Yeah, it was yeah. a headphone video. And you mentioned yeah. this, and I've I've only been in this world for like a year, so yeah. I'm I'm a relative newbie. But one thing I'm getting, I got from uh, some really smart, uh, like legacy audiophile people who were, I think were, you know, good actors. They were recommending the right stuff. They were basically yeah. saying uh, I was going to get like some Focal Sopra three uh, Sopra twos. Yeah, and he basically said, "Don't get the threes because it's a little bit." Uh, too much bass and get subs instead that blend mm. seamlessly with the mid-range so that you have this ultra deep powerful bass that can be yeah. attenuated down to be gentle um and then i saw you uh well i saw that the form re recommended the gentle x stuff which also has yeah. the ability to do this through the glm stuff yeah. and and then i saw you talking about the um bass response in headphones Basically, yeah. that if you can get a headphone that can go super deep, it is remarkably rewarding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts on just like the unification of like deep bass with an overall sound? If you can get it to sound right, it's perfect. If you can't, then it can be miserable. So, okay. <laughs> you know, the room impacts the, uh, the bass response and... Uh, when it does, it can make it boomy, it can make it miserable. So you've got to be careful about that. Um, but uh, if you can get it, yeah, it's 30% you know, of the fidelity that we perceive is bass. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's what research says is 30% of the bass. So, so question for you. Um, yeah. The 30% fidelity on the bass, is that in a particular location? Is it the range of the bass that we can hear? Like, how is that broken yeah. out? Basically, when uh, people are, you know, tested in, in double-blind tests, they're, they're being asked, you know, rate the uh, importance of bass. That's where that number comes from. Okay. Now we're going to get crazy. So relative importance or – and obviously there's, a, there's limits to how much uh, we know about this. So just feel free to opt out of any of them or whatever. But w when you think of – attribution for the quality yep. of an experience, both subjective and objective. Um, how, how do these seem to rank to you? Or, or, or if we take them individually, how important do you think the recording is? Everything. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. You think it tends to outrank Everything. most things. <laughs> wow. That's really, yeah. really strong statement. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Um, I've been heading in that direction as well. Uh, of course, being a new sort of audio person, I headed in the direction of like high res and all, like all these other places, right. which we'll talk about later. But it's like it, it ended up coming back to the quality of the recording was a stronger variable than the others. Yep. Um, yep, it is. Okay, the signal. Now, you cover this a lot in your DAC reviews. Um, the digital signal itself... Um, so my understanding is there, 
is it a binary one or zero? Either you decoded it or not. Is it that simple, or is there a quality of decoding which can extract more, more of something? It falls in the category of what I call nonlinear distortions, where ninety-nine percent of people don't have good acuity when it comes to that kind of distortion. So it is not, you know, it is not that important in grand scheme of things, if that's what you're asking. And most audiophiles are tend to be terrible at, at hearing artifacts in DACs, to some extent amplifiers, never in power cables, never in speaker cables, uh, and other tweaks like racks and you know, other things. Um, so speakers obviously make a big difference. Uh, I'd say this is the number one thing is the speaker. Okay. Um, uh, some people say then right after that is the room. I don't agree with that. Okay. I think right after that is equalization in my view. Mm. When you put a speaker in a room below two or 300 hertz, um, the room modifies the, the uh, frequency response. And that modification can be fixed with equalization for the most part. Fixing it with room design is very hard, very expensive, and it can be very ugly because you don't want to go slap panels everywhere and or experiment with that. And also the knowledge of what needs to be done there is very, very limited. Yeah. So to me is if you don't have equalization, you don't have good sound. I don't care if you have everything else done right. Now, let me take that back. If you have great speaker, your next thing has to be equalization. If you don't have that, you cannot get as good a sound as you possibly can. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and I guess DSP would kind of blend with in. equalization. That's right. Yeah. Equalization can be automatic with DSP or manual with DSP, but one word or the other, you got to get it in there. Okay. Yeah. That makes total sense. I, I threw this together a couple of months back. Um, seemed logical to me. I had a caveat here that people might not agree with the percentages, but it seems like they yeah. might agree with how the percentages relate to each other. Um, yeah. Kind of like if you're just starting out, the gear itself, probably the speaker or the uh, yeah. or, or the headphone or whatever is probably your bottleneck. But it once is. you have yep. really good stuff, then it switches to recording. I'd say it starts with a recording no matter what. I mean, you got to like the music and it's got to be well recorded. So okay. that's a given. You start with that. If you don't have that, trying to make bad recordings sound good, it's a weird premise uh, on yeah. this thing. So, But the thing about being an audiophile is that you have no control over the recording. Yeah. It's handed to you. And I'd say subscribe to a music service where you can get millions of tracks. So, you know, you can always find a good good recording of the type of music you want. And then after that is a speaker or headphone, depending on your domain. And then you need to drive that speaker with an amplifier that never runs out of power because an amplifier runs out of power distorts and it distorts in a very obvious way when it does. So oh, always get more power than you need uh, because you may also upgrade your speaker later on. You may move to a larger home. Don't go with a one or two watt, 10 watt boutique amplifiers and stuff where they need an efficient 
speaker what it's like no you, you know don't force the designer of a speaker to also make it efficient for you it, you know if he's made it sound good and he made it properly mm-hmm. with a good response but it's inefficient watts are very cheap today when i was growing up in audiophile world 50 watts was a lot of watts yeah today you can get 500 watts for a thousand dollars so it's like get it get it done with i'll have a thousand watt amplifier for that reason I never worry that it's my amplifier that's getting distorted versus that. I talked about equalization. Uh, you need to have some kind of equalization strategy, manual, automatic. You get audio video receivers, they have a built-in automatic one where it goes through place tones and, and auto calibrates. There are issues with some of them that I cover in my testing, but more or less, if you know how to use them, they make a big difference. You want to hear the most remarkable difference is run one of those audio EQ systems and then do an AB and especially listen to the bass frequencies. Mm. It's just incredible. Yes. Uh, even soundstage, all that stuff that people cherish, all of that changes in a good way. Uh, so that, those are my priorities. Then when it comes to DACs and other things, I'd say I can get you a $99 DAC that's perfect audibly to your ears or you can close your eyes and buy a garbage one buy the good one i can't guarantee you'll hear a difference between the good and bad but i can guarantee it won't cost you anything to buy the best in the world so mm. that's where we are with dax for a hundred dollars today you can get such incredible performance uh that there's no reason to go buy a you know janky one you just get a get a good one in there but no, I can't prove that you will hear a difference. Oftentimes people buy last year's recommendation from me and ask whether they should upgrade to this year's. My answer to them always is no. If you don't have a DAC, go buy this year's one that I recommend. But if you already got last year's one, uh, you know, it's just the differences are very, very small between two excellent DACs Interesting. Uh, on this thing. Yeah, that's... Requires- yeah, go ahead. That's the first thing I did when I got into the spaces, went with uh, DAC. I actually went with... Uh, DCS. I was actually thinking about Vivaldi, oh. but yeah. but I but I got the base one because it has the streamer and the headphone amp. So um, I guess I got lucky there. But I, I feel yeah. like I feel like it's good gear. I, um, I don't know if it'll be one of the things I end up sending to you for testing. But um, it would be good to test it. But you know, at least with DCS, their claim to fame is precision and over-engineering, if you will, and that's mm-hmm. what makes it expensive. Yeah. It isn't some crazy ideas of let me stick a tube in the middle in here or let me right. not filter things or let me, you know, I mean, there are a lot of bad ideas out there for DAX. So whether that actually matches a state-of-the-art DAC that you can buy for nothing today, that's the question. So it'll be good to measure and find out if it really pays for itself. Because with over-engineering, you better get the best performance and and then some spare change. And I tell you, it's tough to do that. There are, there's a race started since I started measuring these things to get the best numbers possible. Mm-hmm. And that race is we're now gotten to such point of perfection that you would not believe where people are, companies are fighting over half a decibel who can climb. That well, see, ladder. I mean, you're, you're contributing then, right? You're, that's <laughs> a good race yeah. for you to start. Yeah. Guilty as charged. <laughs> you know, now you could say it's empty, you know, improvements, <laughs> but Hey, Again, they're not raising their prices for building you better and better stuff. But they're building DAX that are better than uh, that where my analyzers impacting their performance with a little bit of noise that it adds. It actually 
the measured value is not as good as what the device can perceive produce and it's well past threshold of hearing so you know they're gonna there yeah, yeah that's great, negative 115 one on right bench. yeah Huh? 115, yeah. And that's a super conservative number. I think most people around 60 or 70 give up. Yeah. But there are critical listeners and that may do better. So 115 is like one, you know, we can get it in $99 DAC. Might as well set that as a threshold. If if getting that 115 costs you $50,000, we could argue, why do we need it? But sure. when it's peanuts, you know, that's where we are. Yep. Um, what what are your thoughts on these? Um, I've seen you talk about a couple of them in different places. Um, the stereo effect, I mean, that's a real thing, right? Yeah. Um, where inside of the tangible objective, um, I guess, history or path or pipeline of the content does the stereo effect come from? Um, it comes from uh, level differences and timing differences between the two channels in okay. the stereo. And uh, uh, that determines the 3D positional aspect because our brain uses those two things to decide where things are in a 3D space. We have two ears and the arrival time and sure. the intensity, loudness at each ear the, the, the brain detects that there's two similar sounds, but they're shifted in, in the response between the two ears. And using that, it triangulates sometimes very accurately, accurately other times not so accurately, where something is. Sure. And for example, if you take the level of an uh, instrument 100% to the right channel, then obviously the sound is coming from the right, and that's what the brain is, you know, taught to do. And interesting enough, you can get virtualization where you wear a headphone and the sound comes from behind you, even mm -hmm. because of the same cues can be manipulated so much where the brain uses that those cues to decide things that come in from behind you. But know that ninety-five percent or more of that comes from the content. Audiophiles constantly chasing this imaging and spatial qualities, and they think it's all an app that they bought or the DAC that they bought or whatever. It's just not. To some extent, it's the room. To some extent, it's the speaker. But nothing sets the stage more than the content. Uh, indeed, if you have a 5.1 system, it can swing sound all the way around you in a surround sound, something you just can't do in stereo. So clearly, it's the content has the power there. Okay, interesting. So yeah, that's why I put this slide together, actually, because um, yeah. this slide is like the effects, but this is right. really what I'm curious about. And it's funny, you, you went immediately there. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so again, recording. Yeah, it, it's everything. It's the recording that has the data in it, or that's the content right. in it. Yeah, it's the steering that the, uh, that's in there when the music was mixed and mastered is steering things. Um, we have a problem in audio, step back. We have a critical architectural failure in audio in that we have no standards for anything. So whoever produces audio doesn't have to have neutral speakers, doesn't have to have the right tone, doesn't have to have anything. They can just go buy some pro monitors that may be good, maybe not good, put them in their rooms. They may optimize, they may use equalization, optimize the bass, they may not. And they play the music, and there's a judgment of mixing and recording mastering engineers and also the talent has to approve it and the record label has to approve it. 
But they hear a sound uh, that we don't ever hear unless we go in that same studio sitting right next to them and and do that. So to some extent, we have this unknown factor in there. What did the original sound like? We only have a record of what electronically got recorded and handed to us. Right. And so we say, can it be truthful to what's recorded, but we can never be truthful to prior to that. So to some extent, the spatial effects, the stereo effect that was heard in the studio, who knows if we're hearing that? And yeah, so if your room certain shape or size are different, you know, it's going to impact some aspects of that. But the recording engineer, mastering engineer, all those people, they they focused on trying to create a stereo effect for us. And that's what dominates for the most part. Uh, wires don't do that. Uh, amplifiers don't do that. DACs don't do that. Uh, DDAs don't do that. Uh, speakers, to small extent, we said directivity. What sound is sent mm. sideways, reflecting up the wall? What sense of space that creates? There is a secondary or tertiary effect that the speaker creates. The size of a speaker matters. Uh, if you have giant speakers that portray a large image, the singer can actually look bigger than real life. Mm. I've listened to tower systems that are you know, six or eight foot tall in a huge auditorium. And boy, when you imagine a singer in the middle, it, the singer is 12 foot tall. Interesting. So you can get that. Obviously, it's artificial, but it can be euphoric in that you may say, wow, listen to that. Play some big band music in there or yeah. orchestral, and you just sound like a large orchestra is playing as opposed to small. Mm. So and that area, the research is not as specific. It's not as conclusive. It's got directional stuff that I'm giving you right now as a sort of, a, you know, um, tidbits of, you know, knowledge. But there isn't a... Uh, you know, none of us have the ability to take a knob and turn it and That's... change those effects to instantly learn, right? What does it mean? It's like the gain on this mic, I can change and instantly learn what the gain does. But boy, moving speakers around 50 different ways and playing some music and God knows what, how that was mastered and created and whether you're achieving reality or superficial you know, spatialities is very, very hard to know. So, yeah, but that's... you know, if you get to 80%, this stuff can be so rewarding and good. So I don't, you know, last 20%, I don't kill myself over. <laughs> yeah. It's just so frustrating for me because I yeah. I want to know attribution. I want to know yeah. if some a traditional audiophile is saying, well, whatever, th yeah. this has more imaging or something. And they're yeah. like, they're attributing that to the DAC or whatever. I, I want to yeah. have the knowledge and the science to be able to say, well, it can't be the DAC. Because the DAC already did a one-for-one -one translation of the bits. Yep. Therefore, yep. it has to be in the electricity. And the electricity came from the original signal. And it's like yeah, um, just being we able to pin that all yeah. down. And audiophiles have learned and reviewers that subscribe to that subjective is audiophile that everything can impact soundstage and the detail and openness of notes and things. So they're now attributing that to everything in the world that they test and yeah. listen to and evaluate. I get, you know, you have to get that out of your vocabulary that when it comes to cables, DACs, amplifiers, to, for the most part, a lot of things in audio do not impact that. And if they did, there would be 0.001% kind of thing. Do not go there and make it a 100% thing that, of course, I changed my cable and, and the bass became tighter and more open and the notes <laughs> were like larger and I felt yeah. like I was closer to stage. All of that is your brain being very, very creative. Your speakers, the type of speakers, the room you have, 
acoustic products in there, equalization, uh, do make a difference. A lot of headphones I test have deficiencies in one to three kilohertz. When I boost that one to three kilohertz to be neutral, all of a sudden the sound opens up. And with the equalization, I can turn it instantly on and off. So I do have that A-B switch. And I do an A-B switch and I don't focus on tonality, I'll focus on where the instruments are. And I can instantly tell with headphones, the instruments all of a sudden open up and move out and move back. Okay, so well, there you go. If, yeah. So, so, yeah. so, so that, actually is, get, yeah. that actually is a mapping between, it is. I think I have it here, presence. I'm not sure if that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Is that presence? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, now this is Amir talking. I okay. actually haven't seen this in research, which surprises me. And I've learned of just practically testing speakers and, and headphone after speaker after headphone. I've noticed every time I correct this effect, it has this not as a two for one thing where tonality improves, but also I hear this sound stage open. Now, why does it do that? Because a lot of the, the uh, stereo effects are in those frequencies mm. uh, where the channel delay makes a difference and level delays. The bass is always mono, for example, 99% of the time. So the, you know, the bass equalization doesn't improve spatial aspects of openness of bass. But in this region, I find one to three kilohertz is critical to get that tonality right and to get the openness right. Uh, but that's Amir talking again. Uh, so some cause and effect is there, but I can get a Sennheiser 800S headphone and it has these large cups with these angle drivers and it seems to separate the instruments. I, I can't put my finger on why or how it's able to do that. But if you know you hear these layers in your, you know, a little bit past your ear, it's a very beautiful effect. I don't know if it's realistic, but it's an enjoyable effect. It makes so it makes it. me happy. Uh, I've I've spent a year watching uh, headphone reviews by all these yeah. um, YouTuber um, yeah. headphone reviewers, and yeah. they all universally say even the even if they like another headphone more, the 800s yeah. has the biggest and most interesting soundstage. It does, and I had like I, you know I I wasn't that much into headphones to know. I'd heard of 800s, but but the first time I got it. After equalized, especially, I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> when you equalize it, it sounds correct. And now it has this spatial effect. And indeed, it puts a lipstick on chicken, as we call it. It makes some bad recordings better because you get this prettiness to it. Yeah. Uh, on this thing. It's like photography. You can saturate the reds more or whatever or sure. greens. And it's, I think it's a little bit supernatural in that regard. Um, so like I said, we have e enough in here to make arguments and to make educated decisions, but this whole imaging area is a little tricky, uh, but it's helpful to just exclude it out of a class of devices because I do all these AB tests all the time. People say, well, uh, you know, often I'm like, gosh, every day I'm analyzing sound, listening to and comparing. I'm just telling you when I listen to another DAC again. Nothing about sound state changes or nothing jumps out at me. So, whoa, you know, listen to the layering just changed. Interesting. Is it possible for someone to do something to a cable to, um, to raise or attenuate a, uh, a frequency range to basically do equalization through the cable? You can, but you got to try so, 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 so hard. These are passive devices for one thing, right? Okay. And yes, maybe at the extreme, you could you could muck with it enough where the highs get a little bit rolled off. Maybe the bass gets a little bit rolled up, but I'll tell you, it's very tough. So I think it's basically what you're hearing is in your head. So you couldn't, you couldn't raise it because that would require active. 
But you could no, you potentially could, attenuate? You could set up resonances where things can peak at certain frequency. Mm. Like before it rolls off, it could go up and then come down. But I'll tell you, the amount of, you know, unless it has a box in the middle with a bunch of parts like the MIT cables do and some of the other ones, uh, just the physical characteristics of the cable, just the wire, especially in the short lengths that we use, it's just very hard to modify it enough you know, to make it different. Now, if you have a hundred foot of cable going around your ceiling, going to a speaker in some other room, yeah, at a hundred foot, you could do things, but not in 10 foot, five foot section. Okay. Section. And what about like a tube sound? Is that a, is that a real thing? This warm tubey sound that everyone seems to be talking about? I think the fact that people think it's warm comes from looking at the thing glowing. <laughs> I don't know. When I'm measuring that distortion, and I think most of the time people are, aren't hearing that distortion. They're just imagining that more. This is my opinion. Okay. I, I can just pr I can prove that it's distortion, and I can tell you that the distortion is not good, and that's about it. Okay. High-res audio. Um. We can show mathematically and objectively that 16-bit audio has a noise floor that's audible at the extreme. Oh, like interesting. If I, play, if I set the volume high enough for like concert-level playback, and when the music stops, you'll hear some hissing. Um, beyond that, can you hear more than that? It's very, very hard. So personally, if, if I had a choice of high res versus not, I'm like, give me the high res. Why are you trying to convert it back to low res for me? Uh, but 99% of music I listen to is low res. I mean, CD, CD quality. Yeah, the, the thing I'm, I think I've discovered, I'm not quite sure, but I think I might have discovered is that people who carry about, or people who put out high res, tend to associate that with MQA and I, or with um, good recordings. And I actually yes. think that's the trick that MQA did is yep. that they did multiple tricks and multiple hacks, unified them yep. together. And so that the output, people would attribute it to, oh, it must be this or it must be that. But really they just Correct. did multiple things together at the same time. Correct. So they uh, got the best possible recording, the best possible bit rate, and it released it all at the same. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, more or less. I'd say the effects that it, the stuff that it does, probably not audible, but they are able to go get better mastering and uh, uh, and get better quality that way at times. Okay. Whether it's you know we don't know, right? We're not we don't we're not privy to that. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of opaque to us, right? Yeah, we don't know what the master is. Yeah. So this one here, um, you mentioned having not bottoming out the amp. I thought that was really interesting. I, I didn't actually know that. Um, and obviously you don't want to over push your speaker as well. Um, right. What about active systems? They can be so optimized and so tuned to sound great, uh, but they can have amplifiers that are too small or drivers that are too small. With a discrete system, I can buy a bigger amp. With a powered speaker, the amp that comes in at the stamp. So I've measured some Genelex that are amazingly good. And I turn them up, all of a sudden it starts to crackle. Mm. Well, if that's the level you want to listen to, it's no good anymore. Mm. So, you know, if you're going to go active, make sure you know how loud you're going to play. Interesting. And uh, on this thing. So that's the only thing. Otherwise, 
you know, in a few hundred dollar range, they can be so much better than passive systems because you get this integrated system inside them. Interesting. And you think if you were to build like larger than that, you still think passive is a good um, good no, way to go? You, no, you could build an amazing active system with outboard amplification where you're not bound to putting in a small speaker and then you remove that limit. Okay, so you're supplementing you're supplementing what the speaker is receiving yes. externally. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um all right. Well, I'm I'm sort of conscious of your time here. Um do you want to talk about the YouTube channel? I think it was a it was a fantastic supplementation to the forum. Um Yeah. I I uh can't say that I predicted <laughs> what came out of it. I just thought there were so many bad videos out there. That, well, actually, let me step back. There, these people have gotten incredible good uh, um, production values in their videos. Yes, uh, you know what they do, and that and that some of them are extremely eloquent in the way they speak and how convincing they are. That they were starting to just pass on this such bad information about audio, and at first I tried to answer them in text, but the person that's on YouTube not going to see the text. Many of them won't allow you to link to rebuttals, and many people watch the video and are not going to go read a bunch of text in the forum. So at first, I was like, you know, okay, I could do a video. You yeah. know, there's like there aren't that many people like me doing videos, so someone's got to do it. So I did one. Little did I know that it had secondary and other effects. The one effect it had, which was remarkable, people said, "Whoa!" So this is who you are, Amir. I had this picture of you being this crazy, miserable guy <laughs> that's just yeah. You know that had this and that notion. So once I they saw me, they were like, "Oh, so you're you're like you know you're a regular person, more laid back, I, sense of humor, yeah. yeah, yeah." And then, by the way, what you said made sense because you watch a video in ten minutes; it's a story. It's got a beginning, middle, of an end. Yeah. Whereas you come on a forum and you read a post from me or a review, you come in the middle of a story, or you come in the middle of an argument, and. Uh, it hangs together, and, and I can also explain so much more than I can in text. I'm not good at or don't have the patience to sit there write a book for everything. Sure. Uh, whereas 20 minutes, 40 minutes in, in, in video, that's thousands and thousands of words where I can really explain and provide the nuances there. So it's worked out great, and I plan on continuing it. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, final final bits. Um, yeah. Lightning round. Um, yeah. Best system that you've ever heard or experienced? Uh, the best system is the one that I listen to at home. <laughs> you know, I don't want to brag about it, but after 40 years, got the system that I want. And when I go to audio shows, I'd never come home thinking I should go buy one of those. So there are some systems that do some things better than mine, but I've, I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy and to be fortunate enough to afford what I have. Well, do you, can you say anything about it? Have you already talked about it? Like, what is it? Uh, not a whole lot. I'm a kind of a private person. There's some people who just love to just keep showing off what they have, and I tend to only do it when asked. So my uh, speakers are Revel Salon 2 speakers. They're expensive, $23,000 for a pair. But, you know, when you say what is the ultimate in this mm -hmm. scientifically designed proper thing, that is the ultimate 
want to get. And then once you get it after 40 years of working in the, in the industry, you say, okay, that's my reward. My amplifiers, I don't recommend people get them. They're Mark Levinson's. They're $25,000 each, $50,000 for a pair. Uh, but they have unlimited amount of power. Uh, they're class D, they call them class I. If you, you were going to buy new, I'd say go buy Hypex or Purify Bass Class D amplifiers, and you'll do that for $2,000 instead of $50,000. Mm. Uh, my DAC is one of the state-of-the-art DACs uh, from a company called Matrix Audio. Uh, and the uh, speaker wires, are they're little fancy wires, but I was given the wires for free, so I use mm. them. Uh, the interconnects are Mogami Gold XLRs or $30 cables. And source of music for me is Tidal for streaming content. Mm -hmm. um, some high-res music that I bought from specialty labels we talked about before that record and master and release themselves are superb quality. Yeah. And I also have a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. I, I wanted oh, wow. to get one when I was young. Yeah, and uh, could never afford to get one that was really good. And I have a Otari one. It's the last company that was making reel-to-reel -reel tape decks till they closed their door a couple of years ago. All the other ones had stuff. So semi-professional, professional reel-to-reel. Uh, uh, -reel. And it's just wonderful to watch the reels move. You know, mm. convenience is hell because it, it's only 20 minutes of music on a tape. And the tapes cost $250 and up for pre-recorded music. So it's not something you want to go copy. Uh, but compared to turntables, I hate turntables. You know, the scratching and popping and clicking sounds and all that stuff. Although analog mastered sound can be so much better than digital. I have second generation uh, master uh music that i listened to in the 60s and 70s and it blows away the digital versions really? not because it's analog because it's just mastered so much but the digital ones are just so turned up in levels so harsh sounding so just like they've ruined them every time they've remastered them they should call them rescrew them uh on this thing so what sounds beautiful is just that it the, you know it's very dynamics and you know the the levels haven't been crushed to death because somebody's had the rid effects and muck with them not because analog because i can hear the background hissing it even mm. those you know the tapes running pretty fast the highest speed there is and everything there's still signal and noise issues 80 db you know i'd commit suicide if uh, i had a DAC <laughs> that was 80 db right but but the well-recorded content in it sounds really really good um Outside of that, I use Rune Media Player, R-O-O-N. Same here. Uh, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I love the fact that it's multi-system and multi-DAC. I can sit here at my workstation and play music on my main system. The user interface is great. I, I bought a lifetime membership when it was reasonable in price, so I don't have to pay I did yearly the same fees. thing, yeah. Yeah, if you have to pay yearly fees, it gets to be a much. But I'd say, gosh, you go buy a you know $5,000 speaker, Spend the five hundred dollars or eight hundred dollars, whatever it is, and you know that's your thing every day that you use and see and play, and it's got fantastic integration with Title for streaming, where everything's just fully integrated. Um, that's really my system. There's not a whole lot to it uh, beyond that. The yeah, that's it. No, that makes sense. And like, I guess yeah. if someone was just getting into the into the field or into the hobby yeah. and had yeah. you know a couple grand to spend. Do you, yeah. do you push them that down a, uh, I, I guess you've kind of covered it. Like you get decent quality components or, or would you say go the yeah. active route or what are you thinking? I think both options exist for you. 
Um, read the reviews, come and ask us, tell us what money, you know, how much money you want to spend on the forum and members will help. Um, I tend to say get a passive one because they're more familiar with what it can and cannot do and on that versus immediately send them the active route where it's like, what is the speaker? How do I get a volume control into it, for example? Yeah. Active speakers are just sitting there at full volumes, like then the whole thing. Whereas if you get a, you know, integrate Amplifier or something, you have that. So I'd say $2,000 is the right place to start. Uh, spend $1,000 over on the speakers and, you know, ration the rest. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much. Uh, uh, my pleasure. Really appreciate the time, and I appreciate the work. Uh, I think you're uh, yeah. you're doing a a great uh, duty for the universe, uh, <laughs> and uh, kind of saving a lot of people who are uh, kind of going down the wrong path. Yeah, appreciate it. It's it's fun, and that kind of comment gets me going. So thanks for having me, and uh, hopefully, I can keep delivering on that premise. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode. And here's your next podcast.